So we're talking about the Psalms. We're walking through this theme, and uh, I've been given the privilege of being able to share a couple times. And one of the things that has uh, kind of impacted my own life is the reality that Jesus is um, one who is able to meet us exactly where we're at, but he introduces us to something so much wider than simply his love and his grace. He introduces us to the reality that wherever we might be in this faith journey, there is something true and real about God being a refuge or a, a point of strength to us. Now, some of our songs allude to this. The scriptures speak to this, especially the Psalms speak to the reality. Sometimes God is described as a rock. A rock is, is meant to imply that it's not easily moved. And so we might be, but if we are standing on him or on the rock, we will not be shaken. There, there are other metaphors that are used for him, that God is something of a high tower, and that the tower is able to keep us when the floodwaters rise. He is able to hold us above the waters, above the fray. And then, of course, there is the idea of him being a fortress. Other references call, refer to him as a, a refuge, and that is a place that is to run to for safety, for protection. That whatever is nipping at us or whatever is threatening us is not able to penetrate through. And this, this all speaks to an experience that we're invited into. We find ourselves um, experiencing the reality that, that we, can, we can discover what it is like to be unshaken when, when we find ourselves in His refuge. In His refuge. And I have to tell you, this is not something that uh, I am, am, am able to speak to from a place of having lived this every day. If anything, this is something of an aspiration or desire. And some of us, we may identify to call on him as our refuge or our fortress or our rock is something that doesn't just happen once and we're good. If anything, it happens every day. Sometimes it happens multiple times a day. And sometimes, given the dynamics that we're walking through, we might call on him to become our refuge moment by moment. And wherever we might be, some of us are inclined to certain ways of kind of interacting with life and seeing things play out. And, you know, in my own life, I've discovered the need to learn how to experience this, this capacity to be unshaken in God because it's just the way my mind works. And um, just kind of it'll give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. You know, some of us may or may not know, some of you may or may not know, my wife, who I've been married to eight years in August, um, she is actually six months pregnant right now. And uh, yeah, hey, it's a, a huge blessing. But um, when we first found out she was pregnant, we were really excited. And uh, I was looking forward to finding out what gender it was. And there was a date and time in which we set it on the calendar. And we had, this is the sonogram appointment where we find out if it's a boy or a girl. And I had an early morning meeting I had to attend to, but I decided, you know, I'm going to make it there. I'm going to get there on time. And, and so I get out of my meeting early. I, I get on my bike and I'm riding down. I hear something vibrate in my pocket or I feel it. And when I get there, I open up my phone and my, my wife is saying, hey, honey, they, they had an opening a little bit early. So uh, you need to hurry. We're already going. You know, it's all, we're already in. 
they already started. And so I start, I get my, I don't put my gear away on the bike or anything. I just kind of dash into the hospital, make my way. And she gives me the room where they're at, make my way to the floor. And I start looking for the room. And I run down the hallway and I'm looking for, for this particular room number. I'm w- running down the hallway and I can't find it. So I run out the other hallway. And as I am running around, I, I didn't realize I was on the maternity ward. And so there were people possibly actually in labor and heads start kind of popping out, wondering what's going on. There's this man with a helmet and gear running, right? And so I, I say, I'm looking for this room number. I'm looking for this room number. And they say, well, sir, please, um, can, you, can you stop running? Um, <laughs> making us nervous. There's a reception over there, the front desk. And so I make my way over there and she texts me, honey, you, you might want to hurry. They're about to reveal the gender. And I say, No. Don't let them do that. Um, I get to the front desk. I find out, you know, can, can you guide me? They ask me for my ID to make sure I am who I say I am. And then they, they walk me to the room. They knock on the door. They open it. They make sure everything's okay. Then they let me in and I walk in and I'm anxious and excited. And I stand there and I'm kind of just like, you know, looking at a screen and I see an alien. Uh, <laughs> And my wife is on, on the, the bed, and they're doing the sonogram, and technician just types in, girl. And some of what I felt was that. Um, <laughs> I stood there, and I had this weird combination of emotions all at once. It was like just feeling of joy, of awe, of pain heartbreak, uh, fear, uh, doubled up on the fear. I'm standing there and my mind just immediately starts racing towards different milestones. And it just starts going there. It's just like I'm I'm looking into the future of what my life is now becoming. I start walking it out and I start thinking, this prevailing thought starts taking a hold of me. How do I protect her? And how do I secure that nothing bad ever happens? What are the different techniques I need to learn now? And how do I make her like Katniss? And I start thinking about all these things. And then this, my mind goes to this place where I think, you know, where, where is this going to actually, this is going to be a fork in the road down the line. I'm going to end up trusting her to the care of another man. I didn't like that. (laughs) I said something to that effect, and the technician is very excited. My wife is just overjoyed, and I'm standing there. It's my mind. My my wife, see, I discovered, I I married my opposite. Uh, She's the eternal optimist. Uh, She sees the silver lining in every cloud. I've been given a different gift. I see the darkness and the rain coming. And this is how, at first, I remember it concerned me gravely. Um, Her ability to see the possibility of good in any situation, it it gave me grave concern and deep deep reason to pray. And uh, over time, it's become an enormous point of refreshing. 
But I remember when, when I would start taking her out backpacking, when we first got married and we stayed in the safety of California where there aren't many wild animals that can harm us. And, and she decided while we were out, you know, this is nice and all, but I, I'd like to go to Alaska. Uh, there are grizzlies there. I know. Uh, there are wolves there. Yeah, yeah, that's why I want to go. Um, can you take me there? And you don't understand. See, she sees the possibility for beauty and good. I want to know the probability for bad and harm. And I say this because over time, what I've come to discover and truly appreciate about the scriptures, some of us, we might be more uh, skeptical by nature. We don't call ourselves that, though. We call ourselves realists. It sounds better. <laughs> we keep it real, right? But if we're not careful, that tension point ends up becoming a place where it can be a strength, but it becomes a place where if we're not careful, all we see is what can possibly go wrong. And before you know it, the possibility of wrong and bad can end up actually becoming the point of our greatest defeat. And it can paralyze. And it can keep us, render us immobile. Others of us, we might be on the opposite spectrum. We might actually see the good, the beauty, the possibility, the adventure. And it might be that we actually somehow disconnect from the reality we live in a world that is broken. That evil is real. It does exist. In the scriptures, when we come to them, Psalms especially, what I have grown to love and appreciate is that they do not hide the brokenness and the need and the concern they express them honestly. But you know what they also do? They anchor us. Because they express in the same psalm, there's the capacity to acknowledge danger and yet be anchored by hope. And be strengthened by the ability to not be defeated and to walk through it optimistically. It's a, it's a rare thing to discover the holding of the tension of the two. And one of the Psalms that strikes me as being able to do this rather effectively is actually found in Psalm 16. If you open up your handout, we'll just go ahead and walk into it together. And David ends up opening the Psalm with this phrase, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And if we know anything about David, we know, what, we know that he was emotional. We know that he was passionate. We know that he was a man who had conviction. We know he was a man who was not passive. Passive would not be his way. He would not write these words in the comfort of his own home. Preserve me, O oh God. He would be writing these words with deep desire. Preserve me, O oh God. Please. For in you I take refuge. Unless we think that he may have been writing this in a moment of confidence and security. Many believe he actually wrote this psalm in his earlier years, in the years of his youth. And the years of his youth were marked by being on the run, by being in danger. They were years of being displaced from his land and his people, from the place of his heritage, 
where his own king was hunting him like an animal. And there's this one passage in 1 Samuel, and I asked him to put, put it up there. It's a passage that is worth considering in light of what we're about to read. David comes out and he speaks to Saul and he says to him, Now therefore let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. And then hear these words. For they have driven me out this day that I, ha I should have no share in the heritage of God. Saying, get out of here. Go serve someone else. These are words, words we're about to read. And we should not think they were easy words to write. Some of us might say, you know, some of these psalms, some of these scriptures, these words that are filled with hope, you know, it's easy to be confident when everything's going your way. When the circumstances you're in are the circumstances you want to be in. When you start to enjoy the fruit of your labor, and everything's working out according to plan. Of course they would say that. But these are words that David, I'm convinced, wrote in the midst of contending for what he already knew to be true. Even if his circumstances didn't reflect it. He says, I say to the Lord, that is the God of heaven and earth, Yahweh, you are my Lord. I make you my personal master. You dictate my steps. You guide me. In verse 2, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Love for God. Look at this. Love for God translates immediately to love for his people. There is no disconnect. Lord, I treasure you. I delight in your people. They are the two greatest commandments Jesus declared. First is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, Strength. Second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. It says the sorrows in verse 4 of those who run after another God, they shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. No, listen, those who, who run after satisfaction in another place outside of you, God, they're going to inevitably let down, be let down because there is nothing worse than expectations being failed to jump into something thinking this is the result and to be disappointed. Oh, that's the multiplication of sorrow. Is, but you, Lord, are my portion, my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. In other words, what is he saying? You're the treasure of my life. You're what I treasure most, which, by the way, reminds us that this is the benefit of experiencing degrees of lack. It is when we experience lack that we discover at the end of the day what we truly have is the love and grace and the goodness of God that is always available to us. Some have said that loneliness could actually be God's nudge. You who think you're alone, come and see. I am with you. You are my chosen portion. 
You are my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The boundaries of my life, the, the places that surround me, I don't see them as confining. I see them as pleasant. Why? Because you're, you're in the picture. An inheritance. What does an inheritance speak of? It speaks of something we cannot earn and it speaks of something we have not yet received. And in the midst of his situation, he says, the truth of the matter is, you have drawn up boundaries for my life that protect me and keep me and safeguard me. And what awaits me? Oh, it's so good. It is a beautiful thing that awaits me. The best days are actually ahead of me. Not behind me. They are ahead. As long as God is involved, the possibility for a beautiful inheritance. Oh, it's real. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. I've discovered this. In the night also, my heart instructs me. Almost as if he's saying, listen, I have buried his word into my soul. And he ends up reflecting the very thing that the scriptures tell us. That where a person has continue to dwell on his word and meditate on it. It, in turn, doesn't just sit there static. It births life, and it gives us the capacity to be reminded of his goodness. You know what David is discovering here? In the midst of him being on the run, in danger, you know what he's having? A good night's rest. God, I've discovered you to give me counsel, and the words that you have spoken into my soul They instruct me at night. They keep me. They remind me. They whisper into my soul. And then he ascends to this level. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I have set the Lord always before me. A way of life is the way I've been conducting my life is what David is saying. I have set him always before me. I wonder, what would it be like for us if we were able to step into that place, those footprints, and say, I am setting you always before me. If we had a sense of God's nearness at every moment in our life, what would change? What adjustments would we make? Some of us, we might hear that. We might say, I don't think I like that. I don't, I don't. God with me at all times? I don't know. Someone, actually, we were talking this week, saying, no, that actually scares me. And the more we talked, the more it was, it was apparent. Why? Why is it scary? Oh, because there are things I say I don't want him to know about. There are things I do I don't want him. No, God, don't, I, th- those are areas I don't want anyone to see anyone to be a part of. Others of us, it, it might be something that causes us a degree of fear. Why? Because there's something within us. Shame whispers and guilt says, do not, do not draw near. You, you should be afraid. He, he, judgment is coming. And when David declares a man who is filled with flaws and weaknesses and contradictions that definitely ended up showing up in his life, You know what he's saying? I've discovered something. I've discovered something about God that the more I draw near to him, the more I discover his goodness and I discover that God is for me, not against me. 
That when I, when I invite him into the dailiness of my life, in every single aspect of my life, he does not condemn, he does not shame, he does not reject, he stands with me. And I discover that I am unshaken. Because he is in my right hand, I shall not be shaken. It's confidence not in his own capacity, or his own strength or wisdom or resources. It's confidence in what? God's ability to keep him. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. I know not just my mind and my soul, but my entire physical being will be fine. Verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. He is, he is pulling the bow of his life and he's looking into the distance and the arrow of his faith launches him to a place. Sheol, it's a word we may not recognize. It means death. It's grave. It's where the dead go. He says, listen, I look, I, I look, he goes to the place that it does not matter what gender, what creed, what ethnicity, what faith, what location, nationality. It does not matter. Every single person is going to have to step to the threshold of the last square on our calendar. And he looks at death. He says, I've discovered you are too good to let death have the final word. I don't know how this is going to work out, God, but there's no way this whole thing ends with death. There is no way. And that arrow that is launched is an arrow that around a thousand years later, the apostle Peter takes, he stands in the temple and he says to those who are listening, he says, these words that David was talking about, I assure you, he wasn't talking about himself. We know where he's buried. He was talking about his descendant. His name is Jesus. And God raised Jesus from the dead, gave him resurrection. Life overcame death. It swallowed it up. And this word has been fulfilled. God is too good to not allow life to overcome. Because of that, it says, you make, me, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand. Our pleasures forevermore. I discovered this God, not knowing exactly how this would play out, not knowing exactly what this would look like. David anchors his desire to be preserved in the amazing hope that the one who grips him will not let him be shaken. He will have the final say and life will be the word that prevails. This psalm is rich and deep. There are so many aspects for us to dive into. Time does not allow, but I think there are a couple things for us to settle into, to anchor ourselves with as we explore and walk through this together. Firstly, you know what this reminds us of? It reminds us that God preserves those who call on him. That God is in the business of preserving. Uh, Jesus said he came to not to take life, but to give it. That God sent him not to condemn the world, but to save it. 
that God's desire for us is preservation. You know what preservation is? It's the ability to make sure that corruption doesn't take hold. It's the ability for something to not become rotten. It's an amazing thing. I don't know where we might be right now, what we're currently walking through. Some of us, we are battling something of our past. Others of us, we are fighting out of an addiction. Others of us, we have wounds that fester and seem to never heal. Others of us, we look into the future and what we see is probably a blessing, but also the possibility of something else. Some of us, we are in a situation we'd rather not be wherever we might be. Can I suggest to us, it is never a bad idea to begin our day, our moments, our points of anxiety in verse 1. To declare, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Preserve me, save me, keep me, strengthen me, wherever we might be. Preserve me, God. Preserve me. And I have a, a chair in a room in our home. There's a table, there's a lamp, there's a Bible that just sits there. And I have to say, it's, it's not one of those things. A lot of times it's in the rush of the morning where waking up and it just feels like the projects or the tasks or the different things up ahead, they could be overwhelming. And I find myself just walking into that room, sitting down and going on my knees, putting my, hand, my elbows on the chair, my hands on my head. And it's because, you know what? I'm, it's not David's situation. I don't need preservation physically. That's not my situation. No. It's, God, will you, will you preserve me from, from what's going on internally? Will you speak peace into me? Will you settle my my mind and my soul. Will you do this? As Peter said, this desire for preservation is actually a desire for salvation that only one person can give. His name is Jesus. He told them in Acts 4.12, he says, listen, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And no one else is capable some of us, we may not understand everything we're walking through. We may not know what exactly we're facing or how this is going to pan out. Some of us, we want to just quit and go. Run away. Escape. And what we need to do is actually say, Jesus, will you save me? Will you preserve me? I call on your name. Will you keep me? I can tell you, if, if David started out there, the footprints he lays out for us is that that starting point leads to the place of discovering that courage flows from a heart that is settled in him. It, it, it flows from a heart that is settled in his refuge. It may start anxious and fearful, but it will lead to a place where courage keeps us. And it will not be courage that keeps us. By the way, courage, you know, it does not mean removal of fear. 
Otherwise, there'd be no need for it. Courage means the capacity to face our fears. It doesn't mean challenges are made easier. It means we have the strength to walk through our challenges. Not defeated, but knowing that the one who we take refuge in is with us every step of the way. And a lot of times, life's challenges, they can be so magnified. They look much larger than the quiet whisper and the stillness of his voice that tells us, I'm right here. I'm right here. I have you. It was a little under a year ago in August where my wife and I found ourselves in Rwanda. One of her lifelong dreams was to serve children in Africa. And we spent some time with these orphans that reminded us of what it looks like to step into the words James says, the poor are rich in faith. Beautiful children, beautiful country and culture. And one of the things about Rwanda is that it has a refuge, one of the few wildlife refuges for gorillas. And so we made our way out there. And we decided to take an excursion to see them. And there is one of them. Unless you think that's extremely zoomed in, there are no cages. They're, they're out in the wild. And I know he looks really friendly. <laughs> but he's a massive animal. He's a beast. And he's just sitting there. This happened to be a silverback gorilla that left his tribe for the outskirts of the mountain we were about to scale. And the, the guy that was with us said, you know what, why don't you take a picture? And so I took this picture. And he says, no, 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 no. You take a picture with the gorilla. <laughs> and so you could see that my smile, it's not real. <laughs> no, that's, that's a nervous smile. Because it was only about a second later that I decided this was a bad idea. You know, I don't trust this animal. I need to keep my eye on it. <laughs> and that wasn't a weapon I was holding. That was a walking stick. But it could become my defense mechanism. I remember sitting there enjoying the outdoors. And we had guides with us who had weapons. They had machetes and they had guns. And they were the ones, and I thought, oh, okay, this makes me comfortable. And they let me know, these aren't for your protection. These are to protect the gorillas from the poachers and hunters that try to take advantage of this refuge. So we're going to take you up to the mountains. We're going to hack our way through. And they call it the bush, by the way. I discovered this because you don't see the ground. All you see is leaves and trees and vines, and you're just walking on it all the way up. We're walking. And we have a group of about 15 people together with these guides and my wife and I, and we're making our way up the mountain, and we're, the, the incline is gradually increasing. We're getting up to the top, and it's an amazing view. We're sitting there in the jungle, and we see the gorillas. We see the tiny babies, and they're eating, and they're... They're just so adorable, and they're talking to each other, and there's a language. Whenever you approach a gorilla, you have to, you have to speak their language. To say hello, I come in peace. <clears throat> so I enjoyed saying that everywhere. Um, and we, we came across the patriarch of the family, the silverback. And there was a crowd. Everyone kind of just rushed to go see it. And, and I couldn't find my footing. And so everyone found a place to kind of stand and balance themselves. And so I was kind of hanging on a vine. And the guide says, no, you come to the front. And I said, 
yes. So I made my way up to the front and I thought, man, this is incredible. I get to see this up close and personal. And there's this log and, I, and he goes, I want you to straddle that log. And so I, I, I straddle the log and I sit down on the log and I realize now why he wanted me in the front and everyone else is behind me. And the silverback gorilla was three rows away from me, right there. And I just did my greeting and it's just eating, looking at me, and I, the eyes are amazing. I just get lost looking at this gorilla. And I forgot, you're not supposed to look into the eyes. <laughs> That's a challenging look, saying, I come here to take over. And so he decides he's going to let me know that's not happening. Um, puts his food down. And he starts coming toward me. They don't move slow. And he's moving. And I'm panicking. And I start backing up. My wife is right behind me, and I'm starting to think, how can we escape? Let the other 15 stay. I don't care. Um, <laughs> you and I are going down this mountain. And so I start backing up. And as I start backing up, the gorilla is getting closer. And I feel this hand. Put, it, put, it presses onto my shoulder. And he says, the guide says to me, no, sir. No, 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 no. Do not panic. Please, do not panic. And I sit there, and there's this conflict inside of me. Part of me says, you're crazy. Uh, <laughs> You have the gun, not me. Um, and the other part of me says, this guy knows what he's doing. He's with them every day. So I sit there. He goes, please, sir, please, sir, please. You will, you, you do not panic. You will only make it worse. Said, How much worse? Um, <laughs> gorilla gets, and it, it comes. And I sit there. And this just happens in seconds. It felt forever. But the gorilla looks at me, turns to the left, and goes back up. And I'm like, okay, that was unbelievable. Everyone else is excited. I'm like, <laughs> am I, you know, I'm good, I'm alive? He says, sir, panic only makes it worse. When you panic, your fear will happen. And he wasn't talking about faith. Wasn't talking about God or spirituality. He's talking about life with gorillas in the jungle. Don't panic. And can you hear this? For me, I just, it just so penetrated me. That so many times, it's not, it's, we might have heard it before. I know Pastor Terry has said it to me. It is not what happens to us, it's how we react to it. And all we need is God to keep us, to preserve me, oh God. And because you are my right hand, I will not be shaken. You have me. You have me. And my security is not in my capacity. It's you have committed to keep me. Doesn't mean everything pans out perfectly. But no matter what comes my way, you have committed to keep me. We move in that place. Being settled, courage to remain, to not quit, to not run away. To move forward. To get back up when we think we failed, when we feel weakness take the better of us. We get to discover 
that over the long arc of our life, a life that is defined by seeking out refuge in Him and holding Him before us at our right hand that He may make sure we will not be shaken is a life that is able to declare with David, you make known to me the path. In your presence there is pleasure, the fullness of it. There is joy and goodness. I thought, you know, I don't know where we're at. Some of us, this might be easier to say. Others of us, this will be a statement we say by faith. We declare it to be true. We want it to be true. We ask God to make it true. And I thought, let's read verse 11 out loud together. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, because we make him our refuge, lasting pleasure is our inheritance. Death is swallowed up. Our weaknesses are swallowed up. Yes, it is a destination, an inheritance we will one day receive. Jesus said it is so much more than that. I do not come just to give you eternal life. I come to give you abundant life. And a life that will inevitably overcome is a life that is being birthed within us even now. Our destination, no matter how the details fare it out, it is true joy and true pleasure. Because he makes known to us the path of life. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you, you are the one we can run to. Thank you that you are the one who is able to empower us and strengthen us. And thank you that you are the one who promises to us not because of what we've done, but because of what your son Jesus did. Life here, life tomorrow, and life forevermore. May it prevail, and may you keep us unshaken. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.